we are continuing in our series through the Gospel of John this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to John 14, verse 1. And we'll pick up there in a moment. And for context, as we get into this second half of the Gospel of John, uh, basically the entire second half of John's Gospel focuses around the 24-hour period uh, leading up to Jesus' death on the cross and his uh, burial afterward. Uh, and of course, the resurrection that follows. Uh, but John does something in his gospel that no other gospel writer does. In fact, John does a lot of things that are unique and original to the gospel of John. But one of the things he does is that he captures at length what we would call Jesus' farewell discourse, which actually, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, in some unique ways mirrors the final words of uh, Moses to the Israelites before he passes away. But Jesus, at, uh, at this final meal, what we traditionally call the Last Supper, does more than just break bread and pour out some wine, which is recorded in some of the other gospel accounts. There's actually chapters and chapters worth of content that John captures around this one meal as Jesus shares his parting words and directions with his disciples. So we're working our way through that. We've really just begun uh, this section of his farewell uh, discourse, their final meal. And if uh, last week Jesus told his disciples that, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going to depart. This is it for me. I'm at the end of my life and where I'm going, you cannot come. You cannot follow me to that place, at least not right now. So we are going to be separated in a unique way in the very near future. And this week, as we uh, turn the page over to chapter 14, he's going to expand on that by telling his disciples where he's going. He's going to make it more explicit. So this is picking up in chapter 14, verse 1. Obviously, there's a lot of distress around uh, the dinner table at this moment. But he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we invite you into every um, piece, every aspect, every uh, cavern of our hearts and our souls and our minds this morning. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've committed our lives to being with you, uh, to becoming like you, to um, following after you and learning to do the things that you would do if you were us. And Lord, one of the, the things you want to shape us around 
is our worldview, uh, our hope, our sense of our own future, our clarity about what happens next. And I just think of those words that you speak over each one of your disciples. I am preparing a place for you. So I pray even now, Lord, before we dive deeper into some of these concepts, that each one of us in the room would have this sense of, whoa, there's, there's a place for me prepared, sort of marked for me with my name on it, so to speak, uh, in the book of life, but, but in, in God's house, whatever that's going to look like in the age to come. Jesus is there now. One of the many things he's doing is preparing that place uh, for you and for me, saying, I, I see you, I know you, there is a, a place for you specifically that is marked out there, that is being prepared, that nobody can take from you, no matter what happens in this life. So would you uh, shape, Lord, our thoughts, our worldview, our heart, our sense of hope. I pray that we would leave this room this morning, um, sort of, uh, I don't know how to say it, but deeper into uh, the kingdom and more established under your kingship uh, than we were when we, than we walked in this morning. I pray that we would have this settled and clear sense of you being king over our lives. Would you help us work out the implications of that this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are going to do something a little bit different this morning. And rather than uh, me teaching from the front for the next uh, 30 or 40 minutes or so, which is sort of a typical Sunday, uh, I've actually invited three people who are going to join me here in a second and share some thoughts on this passage. And uh, as we, I was working through here for the first time, uh, Jesus is, is saying, hey, uh, I, I am going to prepare a place for you. There's this eternal kingdom that's waiting for you. But in light of Thomas's confusion, I actually love the role that Thomas plays within the 12 and just the way he voices like skepticism and confusion and kind of imagine like everyone else is really shy and just like, oh yeah, yeah, we know what you're talking about, Jesus. And Thomas is like, no, like, no, we don't, we don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Can you just make it clear? And in light of Thomas voicing his own sort of honesty and confusion, and at times skepticism, Jesus replies with this iconic uh, sort of famous line from the Gospel of John. In fact, if you look at all four Gospels, I think this is one of the most famous or well-known lines. He says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way to the Father. And there's so much that we could say about this passage and about these verses, but what I want to do this morning is actually invite up a panel of people who I've selected in advance, so you can take a deep breath. You in the back, no. Uh, you guys can go ahead and start making your way up here, and what I've done is just uh, given them, e I've given each person one of these concepts uh, to share with us. So I'm, we're gonna work our way down the line through this panel and the question that I'm going to be posing is, hey, what, in, through the lens of your life, what is the significance of Jesus being the truth uh, or the way or the life? And hopefully through the course of these next few minutes, they'll help us uh, sort of parse that out a little bit and think through some of the implications for our lives. Why does it matter to me that Jesus is the way 
or the life or whatever it is. Uh, so, uh, Donald, why don't you get us started uh, in your mind through the lens of your life? What's the significance of Jesus being the truth? Is this on? Yeah, oh, good. Um, when I first became a Christian, I found these amazing posters at a Christian bookstore. One was called I Am, and the other one was called You Are. The I Am poster had different names for Jesus that, that had been used to describe Jesus in the Bible. Words like Lamb of God, King of Kings, and the Word. The second poster, You Are, described how God sees us. And it used words like beloved, saint, and holy. I love these posters, but to be honest, they didn't, in many ways, they were just words on a page. I didn't fully grasp the full uh, impact of what these meant. In 1859, uh, James Blundine, Blundine famously typeroped across the Niagara Falls. He crossed it many times in many different ways. One time he even took, a, he carried on a backpack a coal stove and went out into the middle of the tightrope and cooked an omelet for everybody in the crowds to see. And there was 50,000 plus people watching. One of his many trips, he was blindfolded and pushing a wheelbarrow. And when he got to the other side, he asked the crowd standing there, do you believe I can carry across a person in this wheelbarrow? Of course the crowd shouted. They, they said, yes, they believed. Blundine then asked the question, who will get in the wheelbarrow? Sometimes we affirm God's truth about the world ourselves from a distance as spectators, but we are afraid to stake our lives on the truth. We have to allow these truths to transform us change us internally. Jen and I, my wife, moved here in 1999 from Oregon. We both felt that God wanted us to move here to be closer to, my fam to her family. We didn't know exactly for what purpose. We just trusted God and moved. And for the first time in my life, I wasn't going to be involved, first time since becoming a Christian, I was not going to be involved in a ministry. I didn't know anybody in Coeur d'Alene. We were kind of moving in. Other than knowing her family, that was it. And the next eight years, for me, were some of the most difficult in my life. I, didn't, um, I felt like God had put me in a timeout. Anything I tried to do, any ministry I tried to get in connecting with, any relationships I tried to build, they all felt like this brick wall had been put in front of me. And it was just like, how do I get around it? And I didn't respond very well. In the spring of 2007, I was listening to a sermon series on Elijah. In the series, Terry Virgo talked about Elijah confronting um, Ahab and telling him it wasn't going to rain until he said otherwise. And uh, sorry, right away after this, Elijah is told to go to a river and ravens would provide for him. Terry commented, how odd it is that this amazing moment happens. He's just confronted Ahab. He's just said it's not going to rain. And God tells him to go by a river by himself. He was saying that in most circumstances today, people would go on a speaking engagement. You know, maybe um, Elijah goes and confronts Jezebel and says, hey, this is what's going to happen. But he goes by a river by himself and he lets ravens feed him. He then said, sometimes God takes you from a place of being known to a place of being unknown so he can work out in your character what needs to be healed. And I knew in that moment when I heard that phrase that that was what God was doing with me. 
And I looked up to I looked up to the sky, whether you know anyway. And I just said, I get it, and I'm ready to hear what you have for me. About three weeks later, as I was praying and worshiping and meditating, I started seeing, it's almost like, you know, you hear end of life stuff where people say their life flashed in front of their eyes. I started seeing a movie of, um, since I had been a Christian, different leaders and how I related to different ministries I had been a part of. And in every circumstance, I always looked to my leader to validate me. I wanted my leader to say, Donald, what you're doing is good. You have value to what we're doing. And as it was going, when that was done, God pressed these words into my heart. He said, I'm the one who validates. I'm the one who's gifted you. Regardless if anyone sees you, regardless if anyone recognizes what you're doing, I do. And it was like God took this huge weight off my chest. It was like this 50-pound weight that I didn't know I was carrying was taken off my chest. See, I knew all the verses about looking to God for our validation, but in that moment, God moved it from my head into my heart, and I was set free. Matthew 7, 24 through 27 says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. Its collapse was great. Mbasi Mantlaba, he's a New Frontiers leader from Zimbabwe, said it had this statement. When we find ourselves in time of suffering, if we haven't prepared ourselves biblically and thought through things biblically, we'll find ourselves questioning the very foundations of our faith. When you're going through suffering, it's not that time to do it. It doesn't help. It multiplies the pain. Storms will come. Your faith will be tested. And if we haven't internalized God's truth and identity deep in our bones, that shows in times of difficulty. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Donald. I love uh, that analogy of the wheelbarrow, right? Like if you picture an actual tightrope over Niagara Falls, and we're like, okay, who's up? Like raise your hand. Who wants to come forward and get in the wheelbarrow? There's a huge difference between kind of the, the poster version of Christianity. Yes, I affirm to that. Or if we handed out a quiz, said, oh yeah, yeah, this is the right answer. This is the right answer. This is what's true of God. This is what's true of life. This is what's true of eternity. This is what's true of me. I think most of us in the room would actually get the right answer, but there's a big difference between like getting the right answer on the quiz and getting in the wheelbarrow when, when they're standing there and like, okay, do you actually believe this? Are you actually willing to kind of stake your life on this? Uh, and as you, were, uh, as you were speaking, I'd never really thought about this, but I was thinking about the relationship between the truth and the practice of silence and solitude which I'd never really thought about, but with your Elijah example, I was thinking, oh man, yeah, he brings us into these lonely places, into places of silence and solitude, and that's often where we sort out the truth. Like, it's, it's not in the storm, because by then it's like too late, your house is already being tested, or in the normal periods, which we just fill with like noise and busyness and distraction and speed and all of this stuff, but what I've found is when I 
practice silence and solitude, and it's me alone in the woods with Jesus, no phone, no distraction, I actually end up having to sort out what I truly believe. Not what I would put on the quiz, but like, do I actually trust you, Lord? Do I actually believe these things are true about you and true about me? And so I think that's part of the value and the discomfort of silence and solitude, right? And you had a whole season or years of that would kind of were marked by that. But I, I think that's the value and the discomfort of silence and solitude. And I even think of Jesus. Like, he went out into a place of silence and solitude and faced the enemy and the slippery sort of lies that the enemy had and sorted out, no, this is what's true, and came out of that place in strength, ready to face the storms. So thank you for sharing. That's the truth. Uh, Richard, what, in your opinion, is the significance of Jesus being the way? All right. <clears throat> so, Jesus is the way. So I get to talk about Jesus is the way and what this means in my life. Uh, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, when I hear this verse, I think I'm quick to center around word, the word the. I think that's the first thing that stands out. Um, Jesus is saying uh, he is not a way to the Father, but he is the way to the Father. I use this knowledge to affirm my faith in Christianity and like shut the door on any other religions and doubts I might have and I encounter. Uh, if you want to know the Father, you must go through Jesus. So recently, we've been looking over this passage, and I've been thinking about it and reflecting upon it and saying, what else am I not uh, seeing? What am I not grasping? Um, of course, it falls into reading through Leviticus. So <laughs> recently, I have been reading through Leviticus. I said, correction, I've been slogging a bit through Leviticus. It is a little slower pace. I did finish. Numbers really picks up in numbers, though, you know. Um, yeah. So uh, Leviticus takes a great deal of time to talk about unclean, uh, the unclean and being holy. We as humans are unclean, thus we cannot go into the presence of the Father uh, who is holy. God gave us a very, very detailed instruction on how to deal with our unholiness. Uh, at the time, if you encounter dead bodies, blood, pigs, many other things, uh, you would have to be, you had been corrupted. So a transfer was needed. A sacrifice would be given, and the sacrifice uh, would take the place of our, uh, would take our sin upon it. So you fast forward 1,500 years into the future, and Jesus arrives. Till that point, nothing, uh, everything was corrupted by sin. Uh, so Jesus comes along, and he touches the sick. And not only is he not corrupted by uh, the sin, but he actually heals them. And Jesus now states this verse, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus now is the only way to the Father. So what does this mean for me today? I understand that being a father of Jesus leads to eternal life in heaven with our Father in heaven, uh, in heaven with our Father, but is that all? So Jesus' way is so much more, and we've talked about this, but it is a call to uh, apprenticeship. John Mark Comer says this in The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Jesus had a yoke, a set of teachings how to be human, his way to shoulder the weight of life. Shoulder the weight of life. Oh, man. Marriage, divorce, prayer, money, sex, conflict resolution, government, all of it. I like this. So Jesus knew life is hard. He never, like, tried to cut around it. Uh, so he set a path and a way to live life. Matthew 11 tells us, Come to me, all who are weary, burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. 
if you find uh, in heart, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Eugene Peterson has a paraphrase for this. It's really beautiful. Uh, it's in the, also in the Ruthless Elimination, Elimination of Hurry. If you are, are, you, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me. Recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting upon you. Keep company with me and you'll find, uh, you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, I love these words. I think they really mean a lot and they sink deep into my heart. It's neat, like Jesus isn't offering me a big California king with lots of pillows. Uh, it's something so much more. He's offering a way to carry life and uh, all that it brings. So, but the thing is, the truth is, I am a follower of Christ, and yet I'm still pretty tired and worn down and beat down many times. So what does that mean if I look at this verse and I think of this? What am I missing? Dallas Willard has some insight into this. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. It's not enough for me to pick and choose uh, areas in my life the way Christ lived, and, uh, but I have to adopt his entire, his overall lifestyle. So how do, this is the question I've been asking myself, especially this week. How does the way that I spend my time and my resources reflect upon and compare to the way that Jesus spent his? When I wake up, what is the first thing I desire? When I think about my work, what drives me? Uh, when I look for strength or enrichment, who or what do I seek out? Uh, what are my habits? So here are some habits uh, demonstrated by Jesus that I think are powerful and a good reminder for me that I've been just trying to concentrate on. So first, uh, he's compassionate for everybody. Uh, he heals. He prays daily. He loves his neighbor more than himself. He shows mercy to everybody. He gives, he's quick to forgiveness and gives it to everyone as well. He spreads the good news. He seeks God's will for his life daily and every moment. He sees children as precious, lives a life of humility, has peace when he gives <laughs> in generosity. He builds up his wealth in heaven, not on earth. Uh, so I didn't write this down, but I was just thinking about it because it's kind of like the real, uh, how this applies. But I was thinking about my wife a lot this week. And uh, we recently had a trip across the United States, came back and got, little, got sick. And along the way back, our youngest, Peter, decided he learned how to turn over, which is awesome. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're a little one. He can flip now. And it's like, yay, he can flip now. That stinks. Our little straight jacket that he sleeps in is obsolete now. And so he sleeps in this thing that locks him into place and he can't move. But the problem is once you can roll over, that's dangerous. And so now he has this apparatus where his arms are out. And unfortunately, he is not sleeping well. Uh, and so this week has been a week of not sleeping well, especially for my wife, more than myself. It has been a week of sickness. There's been a lot on our plate. And I just look at all of it from the outside perspective is a week where we should be kind of at each other's throats, exhausted, complaining, whining. And every morning when we wake up in the morning, I know how rough it's been. I'm like, I haven't slept much, but I can't complain about that because my wife slept less. And I'll turn to her and I'm expecting her to have like groggy eyes and just be like, here, do this, help me out. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, sure. And every morning she's just greeted me with like, 
how are you? How'd you sleep? And just like, I'm like, are you okay? I'm great. And I'm like, are you? Are you like, what are you on? You know? And <laughs> she is though. And I just, I was thinking about these practices and these habits. I can honestly say the way that my wife especially has been living into these habits, this especially the last week and a half, she's following the way of Christ. She has been like looking the way he lived and being like, that is what I want. And I will give my entire life and adopt everything to follow that. And because of that, she's not only able to carry the burdens that life puts upon her, but also that put on upon her children and then upon me as I am a big baby when I get sick. And so... I, last thing I was just going to say is when, like my wife or myself, when we do adopt these habits, life doesn't stop being hard. It never will. But it's never too hard. I find myself, I feel like I'm walking with somebody, walking step by step with them. And I really, I feel joy and I feel peaceful. Wow. Awesome. Thanks for sharing, Richard. Uh, as you were speaking, I was thinking about you had that line of like, yeah, the first thing we pull out of that as Christians is probably the most important thing, which is Jesus is the way, not a way to the Father, but the way. And I think in our sort of secular pluralistic society, uh, even in Christian schools and colleges, that's like kind of being undermined and under fire when Jesus is like really clear about it. And I think I was just in random conversation with someone yesterday and they said they had just read a Barna study uh, estimating, I forget if it was 60% or 70%, but the statistical majority of American Christians uh, no longer believe that, that, that Jesus is the way to the Father. They now believe that he is a way among several ways or many ways, which in my mind, I'm like, I don't, I, this isn't mean, but like, honestly, I don't know you can be Christian and say that? It's kind of confusing to me. And so for me, I, I heard that yesterday and I'm thinking like, man, like we have a problem. Like we, that is a big issue within American Christianity. Like we gotta, we gotta get that sorted out. But then as you kept uh, talking and speaking about Jesus as the way, I was realizing that we have another problem in American Christianity, and it's not as uh, severe or it's not as vital as like Jesus being the way to the Father, but it's more prevalent. And I would argue that a higher percent beyond 60% or 70% of Americans and American Christians are actually at risk of burnout. I think statistically speaking, that's actually the more common issue is, yeah, I believe that Jesus is the way to the Father, but I'm burnt out. Like, I'm just, I just don't have, like, the, the energy, the steam, the desire to want to follow him and, and do what he's telling me to do. Uh, and I think it's because of, of what you were just saying, that we just take, like, the truth, like, oh, yeah, Jesus is, is the truth, and what he's telling me to do, I need to do. I need to add that to my crazy, busy, distracted, frantic, on the edge of burnout American life. Versus saying, no, 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 that is not what Jesus is asking you to do. And I think we actually need to hear that this morning. Like Jesus is not asking you to take your frantic American life and then like throw some truth and additional commands and whatever on top of that. Do everything you're doing, but also love your neighbor as yourself. And you're like, I'm hanging by a thread. What do you mean like love my neighbor like myself or whatever? Uh, that's actually not Jesus' invitation. And one of the things that he's really impressed on my heart in the last two weeks is as we come to him through the lens of our American lives, Jesus is actually asking you to do less, not more. Mm. 
I think we should like take a collective deep breath, like, oh, like praise the Lord. He is asking you to do less, not more. Maybe people in other cultures and other places, he's saying, hey, you're, you're not really doing anything. Why don't you like step up? You actually do, it's an invitation to do more. For you as an American Christian, he's actually asking you to start by doing less. It actually starts by deconstructing and throwing out our frantic American lives and starting over as apprentices of Jesus with what matters most. And you end up having more margin, more health, more energy, more time. You end up getting to a place where someone can ask you, how are you doing? And you don't start with the word busy. Like he actually, there's actually a way of following Jesus that is so refreshing and so life-giving and so much better than what we've inherited uh, from the default of our culture. So Richard, thank you for sharing on that. That was a snapshot of Jesus as uh, the way. Uh, Catherine, why don't you finish out and uh, bring things home with Jesus as the life? Okay, hello. Yeah, Jesus as the life. Life is a really big topic. And um, at first when Matt told me about this, I'm like, life is everything. It's every day. It's long and short. It's fragile. There's a beginning and an end as we know it. Um, But thinking to the beginning of my life, um, I have not known it without Jesus. And I've always felt very blessed, but also like a little bit guilty. Like, why did I know him my entire life? Why did I meet him so early? Why in fourth grade was I defending the Bible at a sleepover? And (laughs) um, as I grew up through high school and college, I um, contemplating decisions in life, uh, I had a firm foundation and faith. And I just felt incredibly blessed about that, but also kind of embarrassed my testimony was so basic. Like I went to church as a kid and I knew Jesus and I accepted him. Um, that guilt continued a little bit after college. I never intentionally was baptized because I was baptized as a baby. And so um, I went through uh, being baptized as an act of obedience to my Savior. Um, So I was reflecting why Jesus has always been my life, and I'm thankful for the opportunity of knowing him so early and receiving him. But somebody helped me realize recently that my background isn't just an accidental blessing. It was because of choices that were made. I had choices along the way. We were blessed with having choices. And I chose to accept and follow Jesus. I chose for him to be the centerpiece of my table, and I chose the path of life through Jesus. Obviously, like, I'm not perfect. I'm not trying to (laughs) say that. But um, So when I was studying about Jesus is the life, I wanted to dig into his truth a little bit further to understand um, what this meant and and what was life before him. If he is the life, was there anything before? So I went to the beginning, Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. The life wasn't a result of a man's body and you know his organs. It was a gift from God breathed into him intimately and intentionally. His design, his creation, his beautiful image, he filled him with purpose and joy and love and worth and free will to make choices. And of course, with choices, humanity fell and darkness came upon the world and death entered the picture and took over this beautiful gift of life that was gifted us from God. 
But God didn't end the story there, thank goodness, uh, because of Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. Our life was dead when Adam and Eve chose to eat the apple, but God sent his son Jesus and once again gifted us life through Jesus. And he gets to say, I am the life. So by choosing Jesus, I believe I chose a better life here on earth because I have the life or the gift of life that God intended. And Jesus restored God's original design and creation and purpose in me. Around uh, friends and coworkers, I've felt I was on a different um, level the way I experienced life. And I should say not my young life coworkers, but like previous coworkers. Um, but just sometimes around like other people that aren't Christian, I have felt the way that I'm able to go about this life and the freedom that I've experienced um, sets me apart. And I've been separated um, because of this amazing peace and calm that can't even be put into words sometimes. And, you know, in these realities and tensions of this world, it doesn't even make sense. And some people say, like, how are you so peaceful during all this chaos? I have the life right now of actually tasting the joy and love and acceptance and worth. And my fulfillment is found resting fully in Jesus, not in Jacob, not in my job, not in other things I can accomplish. And as you probably know, life with Jesus doesn't mean it's an easy life. I screw up. Um, Jacob knows I'm not always the nicest at home. (laughs) Um, I've experienced loss and going through things I wouldn't wish upon anybody. I, uh, you know, have had... I've had pain and grieving and fear, and no matter the valley I'm walking through and how dark it is and deep it feels, Jesus is with me the whole time, sometimes carrying me. But I have uh, the hope in Jesus as our Savior, and Jesus is just this incredible calm in the storm. And with the anxieties and disappointments and heartaches, uh, are twisted for God's good and glory. And I know that being able to see God's glory through the storm, his light in the darkness, I know that that is the gift of life in me. And so beyond life right now, the good and the bad, no matter what I'm going through, I live with a hope and a confidence that no matter what I do, because Jesus was sent to be the life, I have an eternal inheritance that can never be taken from me. And we see life on this earth with a time frame It's long and short and sometimes cut too short and we don't know why, but we know because Jesus is the life, that life doesn't end with death on earth. That really is just the true beginning. And because of God's amazing grace, we get to be raised to be seated with Jesus and have eternal life in the kingdom of God. Awesome, thank you for sharing. Uh, I think as you're speaking too big, implications of Jesus being the life that just shone through in your words were one that he he is the source like of our life now and of our eternal life that we just but also that and and so if you've never if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus you've never surrendered you never received the work that Jesus did through cross and resurrection that's the invitation 
is that, man, there is no other way to receive eternal life and actually have that, uh, which is just an incredible thing that he, he gives us by grace. But then, if, assuming most of you in the room have made that choice already, then it comes down to like what you were saying, like my choices. Like, am I choosing life in Jesus today, I think of I think of uh, I'm also reading through the old the Old Testament, sort of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of that section. Um, but one of the things that God says to His people in there is like, "Hey, but here before I, I'm butchering it. Uh, I set before you today life and death. I'm giving you a choice. Like you're going to have these daily, hourly choices to choose the way of life or to embrace things that bring death. And so if you've already given your life to Jesus, if you haven't, then please, like that's, that's the invitation, the call this morning. But if you have, then it comes down to choices. Am I daily or hourly choosing life over choosing death. In other words, like where am I? We all, we're all hungry for life and for greater life and for more life. Where do you think life is found? Again, there's the difference between like the answer I give when I'm in the crowd and the answer I give when he, like the wheelbarrow's there, right? I'm just like, oh, that. Okay. So that's another point of, of reflection. So as we close out, we're going to, if you're uh, leading worship, you can head back up. Um, but as, as we head to worship and even as we get ready to head to the communion table, uh, I, I think I would want us to just pause for a moment and just reflect. We're going to go and um, symbolically, but also mysteriously, sort of metaphysically in reality, we're going to receive something from Jesus right now. Uh, and as we pause and prepare to come to the communion table and receive something from Jesus, I think maybe the single question I would pose is, hey, which one of these aspects of Jesus' personhood uh, are you most needing to receive this morning? Uh, maybe you're up against a lie that is just deeply embedded in your heart and you're just wrestling and wrestling. What is true of God? What is true of me? What is true of the story that I'm living? And you need to receive from Jesus just the truth, just the truth spoken over you in a way that, no, I need to receive this from the Lord. This is who I am. This is how I feel, but the reality is Jesus says that I'm a saint. He says that I'm washed clean. He says I'm a son or a daughter. He says this, that he's full of mercy and compassion. So do I need to receive Jesus as the truth this morning? Maybe for some of you, you feel like, man, I have a clear view of the truth. I know who God is and I know who I am, but I'm just burnt out. I, I, I am not following Jesus is a, is a burden right now and not a joy. And, and often when we feel that way, we don't even gather. So maybe, maybe that's the case. But, but some of you are like, I've gathered because I, I'm committed to this discipline. But man, life is a burden and not a joy right now. And, and we need to rediscover and receive from Jesus the secret of the easy yoke. Lord, I don't want discipleship to be this like hollow, empty, religious burden. You, that was not your invitation. So as I come to the communion table this morning and receive your body broken and your blood shed, I also want to receive a new way of carrying life. The rest of the people around us are going to run after an easy life and be so disillusioned that they cannot pay for it, that they cannot purchase it with our American wealth. Oh, why is life still so hard? 
The way of discipleship actually goes the other way. It says, I'm not trying to purchase my way out of pain. I, I'm actually coming under a way of life that, that, that is easy, where my burden is light. Jesus, I, I'm like Thomas, where is that way? Where is that life? How do I carry life the way you're telling me to carry it? I don't know. So some of us need to receive in that way. And then some of us, either uh, for the first time or for the thousandth time, need to recognize Jesus as the life. Because we've chased other sort of uh, distractions and narcotics of choice. Saying, oh man, I'm just going to numb myself to the pain of life. I'm going to go and chase life in ways that actually lead to death. Uh, And we just need to have a moment before we receive from Jesus through communion to say, no, Jesus, I actually think you are where life is found. So whether that's for the first time or the thousandth time, we're we're coming back. And and I'm guessing one of those three things stands out more uh, to you. Uh, So first off, I know this is kind of a serious moment, but can we just give these guys a round of applause uh, for sharing this morning? Uh, Thank you for sharing. You can kind of uh, head back to your seats. But... Uh, everyone else, um, you're welcome to stand. We're going to worship together. We're going to head to the communion tables. Uh, the communion tables are open as of this moment. Uh, but before you go, I'm just going to pray for you uh, and just pray that, that you would have the ability to receive out of God's abundant blessing and grace, that you would just have the capacity to receive from him this morning that thing which you most need to receive. So I'll pray, and then we'll head to communion. Jesus, we stand before you right now, and we just um, hear your invitation to take stock of our lives. To say, wow, man, this is maybe where I wish I was, but this is where I actually am. And when I heard Donald talk about the truth or Richard talk about the way or Catherine talk about the life that we have in you, and this is the thing that stood out to me. Lord, if there's any way that, that in my um, sort of fumbling, stumbling after you that I can receive this thing this morning, God, I want to receive it. Whatever our, our deepest felt need the cry of our hearts to receive the truth from you not a truth that slips in and out of our minds and and we go back to believing half truths or untruths but but a truth that is established in the power of your spirit that we live out of this is my son this is my daughter in whom i'm well pleased now go and live from that place for some of it, it's, it's the way that, man, I, I believe you are who you say you are, but I don't live in a way that actually leads to a light burden. Lord, show, please show us the way uh, or the life. God, where, where am I actually believing that life is found? Do I nod to the kingdom and run after other things, or do I actually think that we have the source of life in the universe? Would you come speak to us now, Lord? Would we be a people empowered in the spirit to receive from you? Not because of our track record or our morality or our merit. We've thrown that stuff out the window. But but as on the basis of your grace, on the basis of your body broken and your blood shed, 
We want to come and receive freely from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The communion tables are open. When you're ready, if you are a follower of Jesus, go ahead and grab the bread, dip it in the cup. We'll take it together in just a moment as a family.